Welcome everybody to Between the Lines, a podcast produced by the Louis Jacobs Foundation and committed to Rabbi Jacobs's belief that the quest for Torah is itself Torah. My name is Simon Eder, and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us to deconstruct that week's Parsha, exploring new paths on the quest for Torah. And it's wonderful as we continue our journey through Bereshit to welcome today Rabbi Daniel Zucker, who is the Associate Rabbi at White Meadow Temple or Hadash in Rockaway and also President and CEO of Americans for Democracy in the Middle East. He holds an MA in Hebrew letters, a Doctor of Divinity from JTS and rabbinic ordination from HUCJIR. And I came to know Rabbi Zucker through his writings on Jewish, apologies, on the Torah.com, and have also checked out his fabulous blog on Middle Eastern analysis, which can be found at middle-easternanalysis-commentary.blogspot.com. Rabbi Zucker, a very warm welcome to you. Delighted to be here again. Thank you. And as we, of course, continue our journey through Bereshit and we come to Chaye Sarah, and I think today we've got a bit of a detective affair as we explore the happenings with a particular episode. Maybe to begin, Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And when the servant chooses Rebecca, she goes home. And as the text says, to her mother's household. What's perhaps unusual about that phrasing there? What is unusual is that it, the, the next time we have such a type of situation where Jacob is running away from his brother and comes to Haran, now to his uncle's house, when he meets Rachel, he gives her gifts and she runs home and, as the text says, to her father's house, which in a patriarchal society would be very much expected. So that Rebecca runs home to her mother's house is a bit unusual. There, there are ways of interpreting, as already our traditional commentators, Rashi and Saadia, do with that. But it is definitely, in a patriarchal society, a little bit strange that the text says mother's house. Maybe could we dive in to understand a little bit how the traditional commentators discuss this problem? You've already hinted at Rashi and so on. How do traditional commentaries both, both, uh, discuss Both Saadia and Rashi make the point that Rebecca apparently was uncomfortable with discussing all of this with the whole family, that she was more comfortable uh, discussing it with the, the female side of the family, so her mother and any other females present. Sadia suggests that talking about jewelry was something that would be more common for women to be involved with than, than men who generally don't have as much jewelry. 
And Rashi takes a, a similar position that it was something that uh, the women would be together. And so that would make sense for her to go that way. They do not, either of them question, which is really the root of the problem, the identity of Betuel. We'll look forward to coming to that now. Certainly, it would seem that Rebecca's father is quite possibly no longer alive. Could you maybe explain what you make of this sudden appearance and then disappearance of Betuel? Okay. And, and who was Betuel as well, right. if that's right. not too many questions at the same time? Yeah. Actually, the suggestion was made by my Bible instructor in seminary, the late Stanley Gewurz, and he compared it and got the, the impression that what was going on in Haran was that it was similar to the American black community of, let's say, that at the time, 1975, where men often were not present, that it was a matriarchal society because for whatever reason, the father was not there, he was itinerant, he wasn't there. The head of the household was the mother. And so he began to think that maybe Betuel's true identity was no was not masculine. It wasn't the father, but it was possibly the mother. He had difficulties with the question of the Nikudot to make that identity. But he raised the question. And years later, I, I began to try to, to deal with it. That, that's really the major question. And of course, the Midrash, again, was not inclined to think along those lines. So you had a situation of Betul is there, and then the father is gone. If Betul is the father, what happened to him? You have what was called by Aryeh Clapper, death by Midrash. So the Midrash gets into that. We may want to talk a little bit about what is involved there. Yes, please, if we could go into how the Midrash explores this, that would be great. Again, the very fact that Laban seems to be leading the negotiations, Laban as Rebecca's brother, would be somehow very impossible if her father were alive. What or, or alive possibly, but maybe incapable for whatever reason, which would not make a whole lot of sense. But that a son would speak ahead of his father in such a patriarchal society, even to this day in patriarchal societies, is could almost call for her for him being severely beaten, if not murdered. So that Laban leads the negotiations, and Laban is mentioned in the text ahead of his mother, should have us beginning to wonder, where is, is Betuel? But still assuming that Betuel is the name of the father, then one has to somehow get rid of him. And so the Midrash, the medieval Midrash, the Miforshim, did what, as I mentioned, R.A. Clapper calls death by Midrash. So we find that the Datskenim Miba'alea Tosafot, 13th century, uh, suggests that 
and and it's in part based on the character of how Laban is when he deals with Jacob, and how the the commentaries see Laban as being completely treacherous. They suggest that Bituel, as father, was a like father, like son, and that they wanted to poison Eliezer, the, the servant, in order to keep Rebecca at home and still get to hold on to the gold nezim and, and the bracelets and such so they could profit from it. But out of concern for the injustice of this all, the angel Gabriel came and switched the food and Betuel, as the father, died instead. And so that's how that's the first case of how they get rid of of a male Betuel. The Alkut Shimoni, roughly from the same period, sees Nahor as king of Naharayim, and the medieval custom of the right of prima nocta, the right of the ruler to bed any bride before and basically to deflower her before her wedding. And all of the ministers from Naharayim came to Nahor and said, you do this to our daughters, we demand that you do the same thing to your own daughter. And because of this, Nahor dies that night. And Nahor, or Betuel as the father, however you want to understand who is the father, but the father dies that night and so is removed from the story. And the, the later references are again to Laban and her mother. And that's how the medieval Mephoshim and Midrash basically gets rid of a male Betuel. Thank you for, for unpacking that and and really uncovering further this sort of these layers of of complexity maybe to step into the heads of the redactors who put all of this together what do you think was really at play with with um, their minds the early along we probably and we see it in in early in in Brayshit and altogether through Brayshit and parts of of other parts of of the Tanakh, particularly also the Chumash, that society was more egalitarian, not the totally egalitarian, but more egalitarian, and women played a larger role. But the further we go into history, particularly as we get to the, the period of the redactor and post-exilic material, uh, there becomes a greater desire to put women in the background. Now, I have my own theory is that there is a fear of women in the cult because the surrounding nations where they had priestesses, priestesses always were basically like the Roman Vestal Virgins. They weren't virgins, and, and their, their job was to be a ritual prostitute. This was the common pattern throughout the ancient world. And Israel was very much against such behavior. And so trying to, and maybe overdoing it, 
in retrospect, but trying to prevent that relegated women to more to the background and took women out of the cult. Truly fascinating. And maybe finally, would love to get your understanding as to how this compares to perhaps other episodes where the text throws up similar problems. Maybe let's just, before we get quite to that one, the understanding that to make sense out of this all, if we realize that Betuel, by its very name, just the modern Hebrew Batya, means dot can be understood as daughter of God. It's not, it's not Benjamin or Benuel or anything of that. It's a feminine type of name. Then Betuel, as a woman, is going to be in the background in a patriarchal society, and it would be Nahor, Betuel would be the wife of Nahor, or, or related somehow to, to Nahor, and the father, whether it's Nahor or, or another generation between there, definitely is no longer in the picture. So that allows Laban, as the son, the man in the house, to, to lead the negotiations. And that's why it then says Laban and her mother. And then everything, once we understand that Betuel is the same person as her mother, everything falls into place and makes sense. So now, where do we see other examples? When we think of the case of the naming of Jacob's children, 12 out of the 13 children are named by the mother. The only one that is not is Levi. And probably the P writer, the priestly writer, who wanted things to be patrilineal as well, and more, and, and to d distinguish clearly that everything goes through the father, had Jacob name. Levi. All the other cases, whether we're talking about even Benjamin, fell on her deathbed, wants to call him Ben-Oni, and says such, but when she dies, then Jacob changes the name to Benjamin. But again, it's the mother that has been giving the names, except in the case, as we look in the text, there we see Levi is named by Jacob. So we see that the redactor is is pushing certain points. Rabbi Zucker, thank you so much. You really highlight, I think, certainly with your last commentary, the importance of seeing Bereshit as a series of um, theological commentary on names. Very much. There are lots of, we have, and it's quite fascinating, the etymologies as presented altogether in, in the Torah, but particularly in Bereshit, uh, there, it gets really quite fascinating. Thank you so much today for taking us through this particular episode with Rebecca and uncovering the potential identity of Betuel. It, again, my pleasure for, for, for being with you, and I hope to be invited for future, future cases.
Of course, look look forward very much to, to welcoming you again. And thank you, everybody, for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about our information on our sites at louisjacobs.org and also jewishquest.org. Do tune in again next week as we continue our journey through Bereshit.